0: Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Our guests today are the two winners of the highest profile races in our region in last week's election. Lexington Mayor-elect Linda Gordon will be with us in just a few minutes. And we'll hear from Richmond's mayor, by the way, the Richmond-elect mayor uh, who made history there. But here with us first is the just re-elected congressman from the 6th District, Andy Barr. It was a tough fight for the Republican who represents the 6th in Central Kentucky and D.C. His race with Democratic nominee Amy McGrath was watched around the country, and money flowed in from all over the country in trying to influence the outcome. It brought President Trump and his son to the district, as well as former Vice President Joe Biden and several powerful members of Congress. Congressman Andy Barr is joining us this morning, and we welcome in and congratulations on your victory. Thanks Thank for being you. here.
1: Good to be with you.
0: Well, it's different circumstances. You, do you feel a little more relaxed when you do a program after you're in that that campaign mode? Yes, of of course. Okay. It's of course. It's, uh... Uh, you managed a victory after that tough campaign, ultimately winning 17 of the 19 counties. Still, it was very close uh, that night, and you didn't know uh, up until uh, you know, a few hours after the polls closed what was going to happen. Uh, why don't you just describe this race? What it was like to, to run such a contest in central Kentucky.
1: Well, it was obviously a very closely contested, nas- high national profile race. A toss-up race in a, in a swing congressional district, and it was one heck of a fight. And I uh, I credit um, uh, a very formidable opponent, a spirited opponent who ran a tough campaign, good campaign, a uh, very expensive campaign. I think it was the most expensive congressional uh, race in Kentucky political history when it was all said and done. We were outspent. Um, You know, my opponent raised $8 million, um, uh, much of it from outside of the state of Kentucky. And that was very difficult to contend with. Uh, We we just couldn't keep up on digital. We couldn't keep up in the mailbox. But at the end of the day, I think what made a difference um, was the fact that we had had this record of achievement, a record of constituent service, a record of, of getting results for our constituents. Uh, that at the end of the day uh, they appreciated and I think made a difference in,
0: in, a, in a close election. From the, uh, the the now it can be told file uh, were there times along the way where you uh, thought you might lose this race? Oh sure I mean
1: you know it was a toss-up race and in fact uh, it's no secret that um, you know after the primary um, my opponent had a whole lot of momentum and let's face it uh, on election night a lot of my colleagues lost and Republicans lost control of uh, the House. I think uh, at this point, we don't know exactly how many seats the Democrats picked up, but something in the range of 33, 35 seats uh, that Democrats picked up. And, and my race was probably one of, if not the most targeted Republican incumbent seat in America with $8 million coming in, uh, trying to defeat us. Uh, so yes, of course, we didn't know we were uh, for sure going to retain the seat until the very, very end. But Uh, Even though we knew Fayette County was going to be a particular challenge uh, in this cycle, uh, we also had great
0: confidence
1: in the strength of our position uh, in all of the other counties outside of Fayette County,
0: do you uh, regret uh, I- any of the the tone of the campaign, the the, the, the times in which it got uh, so tough on television, and then and, and people, you know, just openly said they're they're so tired of these negative ads they were talking about. Yeah, well, it came from all directions, and you know,
1: it did. I mean, you know, look, we. I think competition is a very good thing. I think competition makes us all better. I mean, would I have preferred that the, the race would have been focused on a series of uh, debates with um, with nonpartisan neutral uh, moderators? And yes, I would have preferred that. I would have preferred that as opposed to uh, this emphasis on 30-second um, TV ads. That would have been better. But, you know, I do regret also the... The narrative that uh, I did not run a positive campaign we spent over a million dollars on positive messages on television and as I said during the campaign I think it was very legitimate especially because my opponent would not debate me in person to um, feature my opponent in her own words uh, because the people of this district deserve to know where the candidates stand on these issues and those ads I think very fairly
0: Um, pointed out the differences between me and my opponent. President Trump brought up your victory a a couple of times in his uh, uh, victory lap news conference that he had uh, on Wednesday after the election. Did his trip to Richmond when he came to this district and uh, put his full support uh, behind you uh, play a major factor in your victory?
1: It it was definitely, it played a role for sure and we knew uh, given the president's popularity in the counties outside of Fayette County that we that that we needed to motivate and energize uh, the uh, the president's supporters in my congressional district, a congressional district that voted for the president by 15 points. We knew that if we had the the large turnout, particularly outside of Fayette County, uh, that we were going to win this election. And uh, the minority of, of voters that were uh, that supported uh, my opponent in Fayette County, we knew was not enough to overcome the majority of voters of this congressional district that did support me and the president out in the rural counties. So the turnout in the rural counties was uh, a very
0: important focus uh, within in this race. Is it frustrating to you to have grown up in Fayette County and uh, gone to the, the public schools here and law school here and, and then uh, and then lose by 25,000 votes uh, in Lexington. Uh, I know you've said that you want to hear from people we do. Uh, right now about what it is that uh, they'd like to see. And I think you've made some particular outreaches uh, even since Election Day to people in Lexington.
1: Absolutely. In fact, I just spoke uh, yesterday with Mayor-elect uh, Linda Gordon.
0: She told us that. And
1: <laughs> and we look forward to working with her and her new administration. And uh, yes, you know, whenever you have a competitive, uh, closely contested election, it's a report card. And you got to look at and, and have, uh, you know, a sense of humility and look at areas in where we can improve. And we want to make a very deliberate uh, outreach to the voters uh, in Lexington, in Fayette County, voters who uh, supported my opponent, see what we can do better. I want to I hear from everybody. I want to listen to them about uh, how we can better represent them. It is disappointing because I am born and raised in Lexington and we have a record of advocacy for the city of Lexington and the University of Kentucky supporting medical research and grants for UK and um, certainly working with the city of Lexington on the town branch commons project and other uh, other work that we've done, but we but we recognize that we've got some work to do
0: in Fayette County, and and we look forward to listening to everybody, Congressman. Why is it that in a in a congressional race, things like that, and, and you will say those things on the stump and in a speech to 40 or 50, maybe 100 people have gathered there, but but the the overall messages seem uh, seem to go along those national issues that are that are out there. That that seems to be the way it goes in these congressional races. Do you wish there was more emphasis on uh, what? Uh, the needs are and what may be being done locally in these races?
1: I do. I, it, it was extremely frustrating to me that we didn't have an opportunity to have some of these debates. What I did do, I spent about hundred thousand on, dollars on advertisements uh, focusing on our accomplishments and results in newspapers and publications around the district. We communicated in this campaign in many ways outside and beyond and separate and apart from the television. Um, of course, that's a critical and most expensive part of our our uh, our campaign messaging. But we also talked about our accomplishments and our record of success and the work we had done locally in each community. Uh, and we did so in the mailbox. We did so um, in newspaper advertising. Um, and we did so door to door. And there was um, it was also frustrating to hear in the in the final days of the campaign. Um, my opponent's campaign being described as the grassroots clipboard campaign and our campaign being bringing in all of these high-profile figures. The reality was, by the end of the campaign, we had knocked on over 300,000 doors in central Kentucky over the past several months. And we had left literature that was very positive, substantive, and focused on our record of accomplishments uh, for this district and for, um, for the people here. I think that did make a difference in
0: a, in a, in a pretty close election. Just re-elected Congressman Andy Barr is with us here on Kentucky Newsmakers. He'll be uh, going back to Washington in the minority in January, and that is uh, new territory for him. We'll ask him about that, what his priorities are now in this new term. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers, and later, Lexington's mayor-elect Linda Gorton. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We are visiting with 6th District Congressman Andy Barr, who has just been reelected to another two year term. You'll be returning to Washington, though, when the new Congress sits in January in the minority. You have never been there before in, in your tenure. Uh, how do you anticipate operating now that the Democrats will have the, the gavels and the, uh, they'll be in charge? Well, I've got a lot to learn, and I want to talk to
1: some of my colleagues who have served in the minority and what the differences will be. Obviously, I will lose my gavel as a chairman of a subcommittee. I will hopefully retain a position as a ranking member, meaning that I'll be the top Republican on that subcommittee um, uh, and still have influence, obviously, in that regard. Um, But, you know, um, this is a divided country. Uh, What I love about my congressional district is it does have the diversity, uh, the ideological diversity of the whole country with the urban liberal core, kind of moderates in the suburbs and very conservative rural voters. I have uh, an advantage over a lot of my colleagues in that I do represent uh, a diverse district, whereas uh, there's so much polarization in the Congress because Republicans represent deeply red districts or or Democrats represent deeply blue districts. I have a chance now in the minority to work across the will bring people together, and and unite the country. I think there's opportunity in divided government, Um, maybe opportunities that don't exist when there's a unified Republican or a unified Democrat government. I think we can do some important things on immigration, fixing guest workers, the guest worker programs, DACA, and border security. Uh, At the same time, I think we, uh, we have a chance in a bipartisan way to do a major investment in infrastructure, a transportation, surface transportation bill in the coming Congress. Um, and we need to continue to fight the opioid epidemic, which is obviously not a partisan issue. It's a public health emergency. And we all need to come together uh, in every district, and whether we're Republican or Democrat, and, and continue to fight
0: that, that problem. So you see some opportunities uh, for compromise and maybe some progress uh, in this uh, situation?
1: I do. I mean, Democrats, for example, and, and my colleagues uh, have been talking about uh, more infrastructure for quite some time. Uh, this president is a builder. And he wants to uh, go into 2020 with a big accomplishment on rebuilding the country. The American Society of Civil Engineers um, says that our infrastructure system in America uh, is, has a, a grade of a D D+. So we've got a lot of work to do to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure. Again, immigration, there's a chance for reform if people are willing to compromise. We do need border security, as I, as I uh, stressed during the campaign very vigorously. Democrats want to fix for DACA. We want to fix for DACA as well. And I want to see, especially for uh, the equine industry and the agriculture sector here in central Kentucky, I want to fix to the guest worker uh, problem that we have. I think there's an opportunity for if, if, if people come together in good faith and not just fight the president, come together with this administration and get that done.
0: You are going back uh, to work uh, this Tuesday. You'll continue to be in the majority at that time. But America is kind of moving into uh, you know the transitional period and into the holiday period and so forth. Is there much that the Republicans uh, plan to try to get done while still in the majority a few more weeks?
1: Well, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, this is going to be a busy stretch before the holidays because... I mean, no- there
0: was some mention of a... a you know, making tax cuts permanent. Is it realistic that you, you could get something like that done? Well,
1: without reconciliation, you need 60 votes in the Senate mm-hmm. uh, to do that without the reconciliation process. We've already passed a bill out of the House that would make the tax cuts permanent. The, the question is, do the, can the Senate get there? I'm not sure, but I do think there's an opportunity for a tax bill, a technical corrections bill that would clean up uh, and improve uh, some of the provisions in the, in the tax cuts. Um, there's an outside chance of some agreement on immigration, perhaps. Um, but I do think we've got some uh, immediate issues we've got to take care of. The National Flood Insurance Program is expiring at the end of this month. We've got to get that done because of the, the flooding and the hurricane damage down in the southeast. Uh, we, we have to um, reauthorize the uh, Violence Against Women Act. That is coming up for expiration. We need to make sure that that does not lapse. Um, we have a farm bill. Uh, the House has passed a version. The Senate has passed a version. Uh, I'm very interested in getting Senator McConnell's provision on industrial hemp included in that uh, farm bill. Um, so, and then we have appropriations. We we
0: have year-end appropriations that we have to get done for fiscal year 2019. Quickly, for people who come to visit you in Washington, you'll be moving your offices, and that's because uh, your seniority increases, right? Yeah,
1: while I I move to the minority, um, and in in that regard, uh, my influence maybe is diminished a little bit, my overall influence will grow because I'm moving up uh, in terms of total seniority within the Congress. There's so much turnover, uh, not just because of this change from the uh, majority to the minority, but because there's so many new members coming in. Uh, I'm moving up uh, and and, I'm going to be able to carry a a greater
0: amount of influence. Thank you for coming, Congressman. Great to be with you. Coming next, the mayor-elect of Lexington, Linda Gorton, joining us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers. And joining us now is the mayor-elect of Lexington, Linda Gorton. Gorton's victory Tuesday was convincing and sprawled across the city. Now she's getting ready to set up her administration at City Hall and, in fact, is just about to announce her transition team. Linda Gorton, congratulations. We appreciate you. Thank thank Madam Mayor-elect, so thank I, you, I you very say, much. Uh, you've expressed that uh, even you were surprised by the the, the breadth and the margin of, of your victory. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you think it all happened?
2: Well, I did think it would be much closer, but I I believe that the people voted for experience, broad experience, and they voted for nonpartisanship. They were very supportive of that. Which is how our government is set up, and so it was a it was a statement about some things like that, and a very strong statement.
0: You uh, you were telling me you even had family that had a, a watch party across the country. <laughs> yes,
2: right? yes. Our daughter and her husband and little boys live in New Mexico, and they couldn't be here, so they had their own watch party. They invited about ten friends over. AND JUST MADE IT A NIGHT LIKE WE HAD HERE.
0: AND YOU HAD A BIG NIGHT uh, at DOWNTOWN AT THE OLD COURTHOUSE. YES.
2: I WANTED PEOPLE TO SEE THE DOME AND THE RENOVATION AND HOW BEAUTIFUL THIS FACILITY IS and a lot of people showed up. You and Ronnie Baston
0: were face to face about 20 times during uh, the campaign. Uh, you talked about issues. Uh, there were a couple of dust-ups toward the end, especially as you said on the partisan issue, but uh, all in all people really seem to marvel at how how civil and cordial this race mm-hmm. was. Are you proud of that?
2: I am very proud of that, and there's really no reason to get negative or or mean or nasty or any of that if you run on the issues and stay focused on those things that people care about.
0: You had retired from politics and uh, as well as your career in nursing. Uh, Is it a surprise uh, even to you that you are now uh, heading into the biggest office you ever held and uh, you're getting ready for at least a four-year commitment?
2: Well, it's a huge honor. And I, you know, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I'd be doing this, I would have said no. But my husband said to me one day, I think you've been preparing for this your whole life. You just didn't know it. You know, life is like that. We have opportunities that come along, and so we have to, you know, take them. Tell
0: us about how the transition to your administration is going to go. You are uh, getting ready to name a transition team, right?
2: Well, we're working on that. I'm having a meeting today to get that kicked off and start thinking about who needs to be on it. I already have some ideas and the the whole point is that In government, of course, it's the most positive thing to have a really good, smooth transition from one administration to the next. You know, we've seen in other countries where transitions can be coups or they can be, you know, just really um, rough and we want this to be smooth. Mayor Gray will work with me and we will be sure that we transition in a great positive way so that people can still have trust governments going on day to day every day.
0: You have said there will be diversity even from the beginning in that transition team. Yes
2: absolutely that will be a place where I focus some of my energy is being sure that my transition team is inclusive of lots of different folks with different perspectives. And the idea for the transition team will be to look at government, kind of do a SWOT analysis, if you will, and see where our strengths are today, where our weaknesses, our opportunities, our threats, and how to go forward.
0: What are your top
2: priorities as
0: an issue set going into the mayor's office?
2: Number one, I want to focus, as I've said through the whole campaign, on this addiction issue because I think that the positives that can come out of that for people, for lowering crime, and just for making us a better city will be huge. So I'll be looking to set up this multidisciplinary group that will work toward a strategy to go forward on the addiction issue.
0: And often crime follows that? Absolutely. So those two things are where you're headed first. Yes,
2: that will be a kind of a two, two issue focus right from the beginning.
0: Are you concerned about the city's (laughs) finances? I mean here uh, you uh, going into office will inherit a a surplus of more than five million dollars and people say well that's exciting but then Mm -hmm. there are those who say well uh, it may be a time to watch things.
2: Absolutely. Well I've always been very Um, fiscally responsible and for many years as a council member I argued to put extra money into the rainy day fund and what's called the economic contingency fund and it's now quite robust and so uh, we know that our revenues are fairly flat in our city so we'll have to be very careful and conscientious about having a solid fiscal foundation.
0: How quickly are you going to go about looking at this uh, city hall issue, whether there needs to be a new city
2: hall? Well, it it won't be on my plate right away because there are other more pressing issues. And guess what? One week after the council meets for the first time, the mayor will give the state of the city address. And, you know, we need to get through a few of those things and that will be right in the budget. The budget uh, work for the new budget. Mayor Gray will start that, and I will complete that. So I don't see it as the top priority right away.
0: There are lots of uh, key appointments uh, to be made by a mayor. Uh, those can certainly be reappointments, or they can be that you decide to make changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think you will go about assessing that in the in the? key invisible positions that people uh, Mm -hmm. may see?
2: The mayor does have a lot of appointments and I will be looking at everyone in those appointments and what I feel will be best for our community and we'll be taking applications so there will be uh, job availability and you know I think I will just look at it with an objective eye and and <clears throat> see see what we need and how we need to go forward with that.
0: How will we measure success in a Gordon administration?
2: Well, first of all, we will have some good data in a lot of the things that we do. I'm, I'm big on getting data because data tells a story. And for example, in this opioid addiction crime issue, we will be able to know Right along the way, how crime is doing, if it's going down, we'll be understanding if we're getting more people into addiction treatment those kinds of things, but we'll also be out in the community talking with people, getting their ideas in the neighborhoods, and how are they thinking and feeling about the successes that we're having. So we'll be, I mean, that will be a day-to-day thing.
0: Every mayor has a style and a way of uh, communicating with the public. Uh, Mm -hmm. How do you anticipate doing that?
2: Well, my, as you know, my entire approach is collaborative. I'll be out in the com- community, in neighborhoods, talking with business leaders, meeting with folks at UK, at Transit. at, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of outreach I'll be doing as the mayor of this city and outreach in the region to talk with other mayors and judge executives. and you know it's it's really one of the most exciting parts for me being an extrovert I like that kind of thing and I'll be able to learn a lot through that sort of thing.
0: What else do you want uh, people in Lexington and uh, neighbors who, who love Lexington mm-hmm. uh, to know about what's ahead?
2: I heard how much people love Lexington through the whole campaign and I want people to know I'll be focused on the issues, I'll be focused on my vision which was very public during the campaign and we're, we're going to move right into that and I'll be looking to get input from the community, from neighbors, from businesses, from all kinds of entities and that's how we'll move forward. We'll have an open government and I hope people will want to come talk with me.
0: Have you decided about keeping the mayor's office on the ground floor or maybe going back upstairs?
2: Uh, I haven't 100 percent decided but I'm a person who gets distracted by any little bit of action and so movement, noise, those kinds of things are distracting to me. So I, I may not be able to be on the first floor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is the city ready for winter? That's a question. Yes. Yes, okay. no,
2: I mean, you know, that's right on our plate. I think we're due for snow flurries maybe next Could week. Could happen,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll be ready. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, and Bill. We appreciate it, and uh, congratulations. We'll Thank follow you, you along. Much. Another winner in Tuesday's election was Richmond's mayor-elect, Robert Blythe. He will be the first African-American mayor to lead Kentucky's seventh largest city. Our Caitlin Sentner visited with Blythe, who has filled a lot of roles in the community, before taking on Richmond's top job.
3: Come January 1, the city of Richmond will have a new mayor, a man who wears many hats. Reverend Robert Blythe will be the city's first African-American mayor. As he calls it, he got the crazies. Blythe has been a school teacher, a salesman, a commissioner, a professor, and a preacher. As he heads into his 38th year pastoring First Baptist Church, he'll also have a desk down the street at City Hall. He plans to work on a number of improvement projects around the city including Water Street continuing downtown revitalization and having a center that is functional for citizens of all ages through his new title he wants to inspire the youth
0: I did not run for that reason my color is an incidental I I ran because I felt I had something to offer the city of Richmond I want by being successful to honor the elders who came before me who probably in their hearts and minds could never even conceive of such. I want to honor the ancestors, particularly my mother. And then I wanted to say to the teens and the children, the young people of our community, this door is open to you.
3: Blythe says he encourages folks to call his office with both questions and concerns he promises as mayor those questions will be heard. For now in Richmond's Caitlin Sentner, WKYT.
0: And that's this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We thank you for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning, and we hope you make it a good week ahead.